we are starting a new series, okay? And it's called, it's called Simple by Design, okay? I know that the series doesn't really kind of tell you what the series is about, but the, the series that we wanted to do, and I think I told you this before, when we prayed about the beginning of this year, we decided not to do kind of the 21-day countdown or 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to do, be doing that towards Easter. We're going to have a 21-day countdown towards Easter with some scripture and some prayer time. Um, that's going to be a little bit different this year. So what we decided to do this year was we launched into a series about spiritual disciplines. We felt like it was a huge win for uh, everybody in terms of just kind of getting on the same page, especially with resolutions and desires to change. Um, but there's a lot of new people at Journey, and every single Sunday we have new visitors that show up and kind of, you know, checking out our church. And so uh, this series is designed to talk about just why we do what we do as a church, Okay. Why does journey look the way it does? Why do churches look the way they do? Why does the, how does the church work in terms of an organization versus uh, the people of God, which is described as the church uh, in, in Scripture? So how does that work? And, and again, depending on how you were raised, it could look very, very different because the church, I just want to share with you, the church is supposed to be and is defined in the New Testament fairly simple in its design in terms of what we're called to do as followers of Christ and collectively what we do as the church. All right? It's very simple by design. wasn't meant to be for only the educated or only the elite or only those in power and majority rule. Like It wasn't meant for those things. It, it, it got sort of complicated and it gets complex when you start letting you know, cultures influence it, religion begins to influence it, religiosity, which is excessive religious practices, begin to influence it, and churches begin to look really, really different. Okay? So, and there's things like doctrinal differences and theological differences that can happen too. But I want to just look at the diff, you know, sometimes it gets different just based, even if you're a Christian, you know, preaching the gospel of Christ all over the world, churches can look very, very different in terms of their practices and what they do. All right, so if, you, if you're ever with us and you've traveled a little bit or you go on mission trips with us, so go to Kenya, you go to Peru, uh, even in Haiti and the DR, you know, some of the areas that we visit in Honduras, like those worship services, their churches look a little bit different, okay? So like in Kenya, uh, they worship for a long time, partly because they have no idea when people are going to get there, right? All right, the people are walking and they're showing up and and so they just worship, and there's a lot of singing, and a lot of praises, and a lot of head movement, and a lot of, you know, tribal things connected to, you know, worshiping as a church. And so there's a lot of that. And then by the time they guess that everybody kind of makes it, this is Africa time, right, Laura? Am I right? This is, yeah. By the time they think everybody's kind of there, well, then they'll start church. And church will be, I don't know, two or three sermons or messages and some other things. You never know what's going to happen uh, in a church that morning. It looks a little bit different. Again, not good or bad, just very different in terms of its culture. In terms of where it is, same thing with Peru, uh, same thing. I know in Peru, there's a few places that use some of the older, more historic churches, and they will get used by several different churches. Churches will meet in those, those buildings because there's not as many buildings, and so they have these old historic things. Sometimes they just meet out under a tree, or they meet at a corner or some public place. I know the same thing happens in the DR and, and in Haiti. Like it's, Culturally, those things kind of 
influence what the church kind of looks like. Again, not what it's preached, but what is uh, what it's kind of the practices and how complex it might be. Same thing is true with racial diversity. Same thing is true with your with nationalities when it begins to influence, especially here in the states or in the Western world. Um, you know, I, you could talk to Pastor Shin. Pastor Shin's here and could tell you that even in the CMNA uh, denomination, you know, his he he was raised in a Korean church. And so a very, a, you know, a Korean church looks very different in terms of their practices and some of the things they do than even just a normal CNMA church. And so, you know, you can start looking at that and be like, well, that's different, you know, and they eat lunch every single Sunday. Wouldn't you love that? You know, like, it's a, yeah, I mean, the women wouldn't love making stuff every day, but it's like, that's part of it. You know, they don't, they don't cook out. You know, I went to uh, my first African-American gathering. I remember as a kid, my dad sang uh, at a, at a, gospel church. And, you know, my dad sang my, my whole life. We traveled around and he sang. And so I just remember like I was, you know, it was, it was a little weird. It was a little more Pentecostal driven. So I think it was a different version of Methodist up there. And somebody ran, ran for the first time in church. I didn't, wasn't used, to, I'm a Baptist boy, didn't, wasn't used to that. Somebody ran a little bit. There was a lot more noise than I was used to, you know. There was a fresh fry afterwards, you know, and, and uh, that was still good. But then, you know, I, I shared that one day with Pastor Theo and He's just like, Matt, you don't know enough about black church. And I was like, well, tell me more. I'd love to know more about black church, you know. And so there's, there are racial and national the, up the road at Grace Covenant. There's a Romanian church that meets there. And so they have an, a, a really interesting prayer service that happens before their worship service. And, and the way in which they do it is very, very different. Very, very different in terms of what uh, we might be used to. And so, again, these are all things that influence what church looks like, feels like, is experienced like. In the Western world, you know, in, in the modern, more Western world, what largely changes how we function as an organization is because we are sort of in a service culture, okay, and have been for years. We're in very much a service culture, so there's an ex high expectation of being served. If you don't think that we live in a service culture, just think about the public places you visit, okay, like a public park. If it was, if there was, if it was trashed, if something was broken, if there's something, what's your first thought? Somebody ought to come fix this. Am I right? Yeah. You don't think about you fixing it. You think, well, somebody, somebody does this, and you know, somebody should. I should probably call the city and get the city out here to come fix this. We live. That's just a part of our service culture. So what tends to happen is that in the Western world, uh, our churches tend to be heavily staffed. In comparison to some of the other parts of the world, they're heavily staffed with, we have kids pastors and music talented pastors and and leaders, and we have lots of things going on because it's very organizationally efficient. Um, And so, you know, that's that's just a part of, of, of our church culture, if you will. And some of the complexity that shows up in the service culture in the West can't, it's not bad. Like, don't hear me say that's a bad thing because that's what we live in. Like, we can't cha- change that we live in that. It gets bad when it begins to muddy and, and sort of make complex the, the, the message of the gospel or the message of what we're called to do as the church, what it looks like in terms of our responsibility as the church, not in terms of the church as an organization, but living that out as the church. And so this hasn't this isn't brand new, guys. Like it's been happening for years. A lot of the New Testament, um, you know, scriptures are Paul addressing the churches, you know, because complexity began to show up in their church, and he began to try to remind them and clarify for them and and help them understand. No, this was meant. This was simple by design. 
And so here's, a, here's kind of our series verse um, that we're using in terms of just helping us remember. This is Jesus' encounter with sort of the elite of the day, because at that point religion was kind of run by the, the by the by the by the, the the educated and the elite, and so here's Jesus' first interaction, or not first interaction, but one that we're going to read, um, where he continues to have conversations with them, and they they want to trick him as a rabbi into saying something that would get him into trouble. Okay, so they want to constantly do this, and you see several examples. This is one of the more well-known ones. Uh, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. They were like the lawyers. They were like the, the real you know, teacher, professors of the law. Uh, with his reply, they began to meet together to question him again. Like They're just like, oh, okay, we got to re-strategize. Let's figure out how we're going to trick him. And so one of them, who was an expert in the law, tried to trap him with this question. Right? Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Which is the most important one? And the goal was to trick Jesus into saying one. And then we could, you know, we we would be able to say, "Oh, you don't think the other ones are important?" You know, guys, this is politics 101, right? Okay, so you don't think the other's important? Like we're just trying to kind of bait him and, and and trick him. Jesus then says, "You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind." This is a reference to a passage in Deuteronomy, one of their laws. And then he says, "This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important." Okay, Jesus is already pulling his, his Jedi mind trick thing with him, right? Like he's already, pulling the, he's already pulling his ninja move where he's like, yeah, 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 that's important. But the second one's just as important, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And before it can finish, he then says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets, they're based on these two commands. So here's this attempt to trick Jesus, and Jesus pulls his move, and he's like, sure, I'll give you a couple, couple of the commands, a couple of the scriptures, your scriptures, and he gives it to them, but he takes that huge bucket of stuff that they are so weighed down. I mean, there were at that time, there were over 600, okay, between the Levitical law and Moses' law and the Ten Commandments and, you know, all the things the prophets had taught, and they just kept adding things on and adding things on and adding things on. And he basically said, yeah, all of those things actually can be summarized, can be boiled down to these two simple things. And they're all connected to that. So this isn't brand new. Churches dealing with, you know, watching culture and Kind of sometimes religion and other things kind of seep into the church and make it more complex than it should be has been happening for thousands of years. So the, what we wanted to address here as a, as, a, as a series is just, well, how do we, how does journey, how does journey keep it simple? Like our desire is to be very much like what Jesus just did with the disciples is kind of boil it da- back down and clarify it. So that it isn't for the educated only, it isn't for the elite only, it isn't for the 501 level Christian only, because the message of Christ was meant to be carried by the least of these to the ends of the earth. That's how simple Jesus made it. And so here we are, well how do we fight to keep it simple as a church? And so I wanna, I'm going to walk you through really quickly today just our mission and vision statement as a church. What, why we say what we say and what it means for us. And then I want to walk us through um, kind of our four steps, if you will, or four characteristics of a disciple, a follower of Christ. 
and how that really plays into our strategy. And our strategy, guys, is as simple as it could possibly be. I mean, again, we fight to keep it simple. But I'm going to walk you through that today. If, you, if you've heard it before, just, you know, this is just to clarify and remind you. Uh, again, there's a lot of new people in our church, a lot of people that we want to make sure they know what kind of church we are and why we do what we do in terms of this. So it's kind of an overview today. Here's our mission as a church. And you, you'll see it when you walk in to, <laughs> to the church on the, on the little wood wall there, right? We exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. That's it. And we were very, very careful as we prayed through and worked through the language of this that, you know, we wanted to make sure that our mission tied to the mission that God has, because our mission needs to be his mission. And so we really didn't want it to be too complex, because it's not complex, it's simple by design, that we exist, right? And, and humbly is a word we put in there, because we saw, you know, even when Paul said Christ did not consider himself equal with God as a thing to be leveraged, he said he humbled himself, Right? He humbled himself to do what needed to be done. And so we, we take a humble approach because we want to look more and more like Christ. So we humbly point everyone. Everyone is a strong word because we do not pre-qualify who gets to hear the good news. We do not pre-qualify who gets to be a, a recipient of Jesus. Everyone gets that. And then we clarify and actually kind of help people understand the hope we're talking about is not hope for humanity. It's not hope in our government. It's not hope in each other. It's not hope in our systems. It's not hope in our money. That it's, that it's pointing us to an absolute hope of which there is only one. And that's Jesus Christ. So that's, that's our mission. And we wanted it to be the same mission, whether it was you personally or us corporately. Right? Us collectively. It's the same thing. This is the mission God's called you and I to individually and if you were to say, well, what is, what's the job of the people in the church or the church itself? It's this. Okay? That's, the, that's our action in terms of what we're doing. Our vision statement, we decided to let it kind of primarily identify our discipleship process. Like, what's it look like? What's the result of, of us living out missionally what we're called to do? The vision we have is that we are the transformed people changing our friends' lives by this absolute hope. That's our vision. Our vision is to see people who are being transformed because of who Christ is. You know, they, they, are, they are planted right in the middle of their friends' lives. Like, we talked about this, I think, a little bit in the last series. Like, you have a, a circle of influence and accountability and a responsibility that you have uh, that's for you. You know, I don't, I don't have the same friends as you. We don't have the same coworkers. We don't have the same uh, neighbors. Like, you've been planted there for a reason, and it's because you are now, as we're going to read in a minute, you are now taking Christ to them. So our, just go ahead and pull it out for us to read together. This is the Second Corinthians uh, passage. You're going to follow along. But this is the, the set of verses that we, we built our vision statement around. Because we already knew what the mission was and as clear as we could make it. And, and this is our vision. Our vision was to see what Paul describes to the church in Corinth happening in our life. And in this church. So I'm going to actually start in verse 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely as a hum from a human point of view. Oh, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. That's 
a transformed people. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to him through Christ. That's the absolute hope we're talking about. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I mean, this, this is just our easiest way to say, this is it. Like, this is, this is what Paul's describing to the church in Corinth, is what we want to see happen in the life of our church. You know, notice it doesn't say anything about the church in this passage because you are the church. You are the church exactly where you are. You are, each one of you and me, ambassadors for Christ. The church isn't. You are ambassadors for Christ. And your home and your work and your car and your networking position and the position you have, that is your embassy, right? And you work out of your embassy, Right? I don't know. Again, that's, we're not talking countries at this point. We're not talking about the UN. We're talking about you. Okay? If you are an ambassador for Christ where you live, work, and play, and that's your circle, then that's, that is your responsibility. And because you're being transformed by Christ, you are sharing the message of hope with them. Notice the church isn't even in that passage. Well, it is, but not the way we sometimes muddy and make complex what we think the church's job really is. Our job is to be ambassadors for Christ, which is why our mission is to humbly point everyone to absolute hope, which is why our vision shows this idea of transform people, seeing their friends' lives, their top five, the people in the circle, seeing their lives come to know and be transformed by Jesus. I, I, I'm going to share some, some, some things about us as a church, and I'm going to talk about it in reference to kind of like church maybe in general, so maybe the experiences you had growing up, but I want to be really care, careful about something because I, want, I don't want you to hear one thing is bad and one thing is better or one thing is this and good and bad. Like, I want you to just understand there is some, there is some intentionality um, behind some of the things that we choose to do as a church and I want you to know the why behind it, even though it might look very similar to maybe a church you grew up in or a church that you came from. I, I don't know. But there can, be very, there can be very subtle differences here. So this actually came, I first, I believe, heard it from Reggie Joyner in the Orange. Uh, he was talking about kids' ministry and church in general and how it works. And, and he actually said these words, and I remember writing them down. Think steps, not programs. Think steps, not programs. Why? Well, because traditionally, the church has done a really great job of trying to create programs that meet needs. I don't hear that as a bad thing. That's, that's what they do. You know, the, the, the programs we create, groups and kids things and youth things and, uh, you know, I mean, it's all, all these kinds of things that get created in church or that may be offered in church, they do 
usually meet a felt need of some sort. So that's what programs do. The problem is that comes when traditional churches have sort of made those environments sort of all about those environments. And people can get stuck in those environments for years and years and not really see any change in their life whether it's a Sunday school class or a choir or, you know, a, a Wednesday night program or a class, you know, like whatever it may be. Like those can often be. Why? Because the church, <laughs> the church gets really satisfied sometimes by just getting people together. You know, that, that, that's so short-sighted, but a lot of times churches, even when they have intentional goals, you know, all they really, you know, if we can just get a few of you guys together, that'll be a win, right? Get a few of you in a group, get a few of you in a class, get a few of you, few of you ladies together, get a few of you men together, get a few of you, and if we can get the little programs and make them, you know, fancy and shiny and get you to come together, then that is a win. But, but something bigger than that drives us as a church, and that is, is it taking you anywhere? Is it a step that's taking you anywhere? Because it doesn't matter what programs are, programs are going to meet needs, but are these programs being provided, are they being initiated, are they being a part of your church because they actually take you from this point to this point to this point to this point in your faith? That's, that's what we mean by thinking steps, not programs. So it doesn't make any difference if they look similar maybe to the way in which you grew up or a church in which you're experienced with. It, it might be different just from the in, intentionality that we don't want the program to serve itself. We want the program to be a step for you. The fact that you're growing and changing and maybe, you, maybe the programs change with you or the things you need begin to change, that's actually sometimes a really good thing because you were never meant to be stagnant. It was never meant to stop because that's, that's not what growth does. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's, here's to make it simple, right? Four legs on this table here you know, some cross bracing, uh, four legs on a stool, four wheels on a car. We just basically broke up kind of what we felt like the marks or the, the identifying factors of a disciple, of a follower of Christ. What does it look like? And we use four phrases. Again, that's just to make it simple. It's not to give you some sort of level. It's not 501 level leadership and, you know, those kind of things. It's all four things are needed in the life of a follower of Christ. Right? We do talk about them sometimes, like the first one is partnering. Partnering, uh, this is the first phrase we use, partnering brings community. And we do sometimes talk about this initially because it's kind of the easiest one to grab a hold of. We feel like partnering is this idea of being a part of the community of faith and it brings community to your life. To be a part of the family of God, to be a part of the local expression of the church is a huge deal. And there's a purpose for it. Here's, uh, here's just a couple passages that we pull for this. This is Matthew, Jesus talking about the fact that where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, and the followers of my name, I am there among you. Because this is what brings the power of God in and through us. Not that the Holy Spirit doesn't already reside in you, but there's something beautiful that happens when God's people do come together. And Jesus said this very clearly, that's when I'm there. Like there is a specific thing that I'm going to do in your midst. And then in Ephesians, Paul is telling them about the church itself, like there's, there's spiritual gifts and leadership in the church. This is in Ephesians. Go ahead and pull up Ephesians. Now there are the gifts that Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. There's these gifts that God pours out to the church body. And then he says, keep going, uh, the responsibility right, of these gifts in terms of the church 
is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, we know that Jesus said he was going to build the church, so don't think of it necessarily from the standpoint of Jesus said, I'm going to build the church, but he says, look, we're going to be given gifts and things that, in terms of how we gather together in the community of faith, I'm going to pour out some gifts on the church, and, and the church's role is to equip us to do the work that he's called us to. I'm going to equip, you know, these things are going to be, so then again, how do you align what you're doing for programs and things like, well, does it equip us to do what he's called us to do? Does it help us do that? So how, you know, three steps that we say in terms of uh, partnering. You can be on a team, which is like volunteering. You can uh, uh, give financially to the mission and mission of the church, and you can engage in community through groups or classes or whatever we offer that engage you in, in the church's body, in the, ch- in the community. So it's very easy to partner. But we say, look, that's, that's just part of this following of Christ because he gave you the church for a reason. You know, not just because that's where the power of the kingdom is going to be found, but, he, but also because that's how it's going to help you, equip you to do what he's called you to do. The next one is growing, and growing brings change. Like any time you want to see growth in your life uh, or change in your life, you're going to have to do something to help you grow. This is the same physically as it is spiritually. We just spent the whole series talking about spiritual disciplines and practices that help us grow. And this is a passage, you know, we've read here a thousand times because we will continue to come back to Paul's definition, if you will, of what that transformation looks like. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to just the human reasoning. Don't conform to the cultural uh, you know, influence around you. Don't, don't let your church, don't let your people, don't let individually conform to this. Continue to let God transform you by changing the way you think, by renewing your mind. It's one of the reasons our group, uh, small group culture here, is not strictly based off of need. You know, it's not just based off of need. Well, we need to have a grief care group, and we need to have this care group, and we need to have a financial group, and we need to have some other, you know, some groups that go to, you know, just fellowship groups and things like that. It's like, ah, that's great. No, I'm okay with meeting needs, but they have to be driven by Scripture. They have to be. Right? We have a financial peace university that's driven by financial, uh, by the fact that it's, you know, calling, help you understand how to manage your money. But he's helping you understand your money based on what scripture says. The same thing with uh, 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 Marte's class. You know, when you want to invest and you want to take, see your money grow, there's a purpose to how you steward God's resources. That's the purpose of that. We have uh, a new couple new groups that Mike says are starting. You can talk to Pastor Mike, but I know we're talking more about it in the series, but we have a couple new groups. We have some small groups existing that will continue to add people and new groups that will start over time. Th- this, is all, this is great that you get together, okay? One-on-one life and friendships is awesome, right? But the reality is, is that every one of those groups is going to have something where you're reading the Bible together, you're studying the Bible together. Why? Because we need you to move forward. The goal is not for you to get together. The goal is to grow and change and, ch- and continue to renew your mind so you continue to be more and more like Christ because you're his ambassador. Now, I will say, I will stop here just for a second. This tends to be 
where a lot of people in church culture, in church world, they can get stuck here. And some of that comes from some of that excessive religious practices, from the legalism of, of past churches and past experiences. Some of it comes from, the, from the, the conforming to culture and the culture's influence in the church. And, and so, you know, this is where a lot of times people get stuck because they get stuck in that service mindset and they begin to shop churches. I love that word, you know. Like we're shopping for clothes, right? We're going to shop churches. Why? Well, because we want to see if there's a better place that will serve me. Again, that's, don't, the service culture we're in is just what we're in, but it tends to influence and get us stuck here. So we change. We don't really know how to partner. We get stuck in this complexity because we don't really know how to partner. We don't we're st- get stuck on our growth because it all sort of becomes about us. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the simplicity of what we're called to. So I'm going to read to you very quickly just a few passages from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus had a huge problem. Ephesus had a a very, very influential culture, all right? And Paul wanted to continue to challenge the church in Ephesus. Look, don't let the culture influence you. You're the ambassadors for Christ. You're called to influence culture, which eventually they did. Eventually, they did actually change the city of Ephesus. They actually changed some of the cultural dynamics of that city. It's phenomenal to read its history. But let me just kind of start where he starts. This is actually in verse, uh, chapter 4, and this is a little bit of a train of thought where he's kind of helping the church remember that it's simple by design. I'm a prisoner serving the Lord, and I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowances for each other's faults because, why? Because of your love for one another. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And he says why this is so important, because there's only one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's, uh, there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all, in all, and through all. Paul's just going to instill in them and remind them of the simplicity that, that Jesus came to give the least of these to take his message, his good news, to the ends of the earth, which is there is only one God. It's the only thing that matters. It's through Christ that all things are done. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, that's it. You know, stop making it more complex. It doesn't need to be complex. It wasn't complex when it started. And then he goes on to say this in chapter 4 to the church. He says, uh, don't be fooled. Chapter 4, this is the next, next section. Yeah, we will no longer be immature like children. We're no longer going to be immature. Why? We're not going to be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, just because it feels better. Maybe that new teaching feels like it aligns us better with our our neighbors and our friends. We're not going to be blown about by that. He says, we're not going to be influenced when people try to trick us with lives so clever they sound like the truth. No, instead, we're going to speak the truth in love, and we're going to grow every way more and more like who? Just say it out loud. Yeah, Christ, that's the goal. Grow every way more and more like Christ. Who is the head of the body? 
the church. The only time the church is mentioned in this is when he's like, look, this is the goal. Don't be so kind of influenced by culture, by what's, by what's not true, even though it sounds really appetizing, right? You, it's, it's, it's for you to become more and more like Christ. And listen, that's every church's true goal, right? It should be, right? I mean, sometimes, again, we let the complexity come in and, and, and it can oftentimes, very subtle in subtle ways, make it feel like your goal is just to be a really good Christian or a really good church member of blank, right? To be a really good Baptist, to be a really good Methodist, to be a really good journeyer or journeyite or journeysian. I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of ways. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is not the longer you're here and the more you engage in our steps and programs and the more you do that you look more and more and more like such an incredible journey person. The goal, like Paul says, is that you look more and more like him. So then he says, again, this is chapter 5, then he says, don't be fooled. By those who excuse these sins. Like they don't be fooled by those who want to choose to live this life outside of God's ways. The anger of God's gonna fall on them who disobey him. Don't participate in these things that people do. And then I love this. He says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Live as people of light. For the light within you produces only what is good and true. Like this is the light within you that comes from God, produces what is good and right and true. So before I, I close this up, this is, this is right, this is, this is where most people get stuck. What a church is offering, what does it look like, what feels this, what feels that. What, and it's heartbreaking when every, well, it feels like every month or so now, I have to read an article or read something about some long-lasting denomination or some large church group or somewhere in the world where uh, churches are choosing to forsake the teaching of God's Word and uphold something that culture finds, you know, more relevant. I think last month was, uh, the one I sent to the staff last month was when the church in the UK, it was the Methodist church in the UK, uh, said basically that husbands or wives just using those phrases now is found offensive. So we had to get rid of those. And, and when you see that, like I sent it to my staff, and they respond the same way you do, which is like, that's fantastic. I wish I didn't know that. Yeah, this is, this is what they say to me too. Thanks, Matt, for sending that to me. Now I can never not know that that's happening. But the reality is, is that for me, and it's not to spread any type of hopelessness or just gossip, it's for me to say, look, this, I, I think every church at one point or another had its simple, the simple message of one God and one faith and one baptism. And it's the complexity that we allow to happen over time that brings churches to lose their understanding of that they have the light. And it's one of the reasons I believe that in Revelation, when Jesus is writing the churches and he tells one of the churches, look, I'm going to come and take your lampstand. You know, you're, you're not even going to have that light to share anymore. Because they lost focus. And again, they, it's, it is a fight to keep it simple. It's a fight to not let those complexities come in and, and morph or change the way we are called 
as ambassadors of Christ to share the good news. That takes us to our last two things in terms of this. And I'm not, I'm kind of quickly going through this because uh, this, we're going to spend the next two weeks on these two things. So the last two kind of legs of the stool is that serving brings purpose and leading brings hope. Serving itself, serving others, using our gifts and talents to serve really outside the walls of the church is what helps bring the purpose of God into view and into our life, as well as serving one another, because that's what he calls us to do. But the, but the leading is leading people to Jesus. It's that fact that leading them brings them hope, but it also infuses us with hope, which is why leading brings hope to you, to them, and to others, and to you. And this is, this is the simple strategy of our church. And I'll tell you a quick story about this in a minute. But this has been the strategy of our church since we identified these four things. The strategy, if somebody said, what's the, what's the, what do you want everybody to do? Share and serve. That's it. And again, if we can boil it down to one word, I would do that. But it's just two words. Share and serve. That's it. Share your faith. Serve others. That's what you're called to do. It doesn't matter a hill of beans what Journey decides to do or not do in terms of programming. It does not change what you are called to do. Share and serve. It doesn't change the church what we're going to try to continue to equip you to do. Share and serve. That's it. We try not to make it any more complicated than that. I shared this last week. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks you your hope as a believer, you've got to be ready to explain it. It's part of what we talked about, the disciplines. Um, do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. If people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see you. What a good life you're living because you belong to Jesus. We serve one another because of the gifts that he's uh, given us. This is Peter again saying he's given you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Share and serve as our strategy is the only thing we can say aligns us with the great commission and the great commandment at the same time, right? It's, it's, the easy, it's the two things that Jesus decided to put a pin in as saying the most important things. You're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind as your neighbors, yourself. You're going to share this message. That's the great commission. And the great commandment is, is, is the same. And everything you're worried about doing can be lived out with those two things. To share your faith and serve others. He said, that's how they're going to know you're my disciples. Because of how you love one another in the way we serve. So I'll, I'll share this really quickly. So uh, Pastor Will Oswald um, is the guy who helped found and start the church that you now know as Journey. Okay, this is back in 2000, 2001. He came to the Huntersville area. And many of you guys, some of you might know Will. You were here long enough, but uh, many of you don't. So Will Oswald came, and he was here about 10 years as, as our senior pastor. He actually walked the church through a merge, uh, which is where Journey comes from. We actually merged with the church. Our church was called Charlotte North Fellowship. We called ourselves CNFers. Wasn't the best idea, um, but that's, that's what we called ourselves. And that's why we like Journey so much better. So we, we merged in 2008 with a church called Journey. And, and he walked us through the building of this facility and the buying of this land and kind of planting us in, in Huntersville. We were meeting at the movie theater uh, before that. So he, he, you know, his first 10 years, and that, that was what he did. Now he went to Africa, came back. He's a pastor now in Charleston. And I get to still work with Pastor Will uh, with Cyprus when, we, when we're working through the Cyprus program to help 
uh, invest in, in ch- church planters and church pastors as they re-emission their church. So I was talking to Will. He came. We had a 20th celebration back in 2016, and, and, and uh, he, he had come back for that, but we did our 25-year celebration a couple years ago, and I asked him to come speak. I was like, hey, Will, we need you to come back. You know, this is like, I grew up with homecomings. You guys remember homecomings? Like, I grew up with homecomings. I was like, hey, Will, I want you to come back and speak. Come speak and teach. He said, okay, cool. No problem. And then we talked about a month out, and he said, hey, just quick question, like, is there anything, like, what is your, what is your vision for the church? For the next five to ten years, like what you know, is there anything that you uh, that you just continue with your heart to want to say, or maybe that you've been saying? And he said, you know, is there anything that you that I can say, maybe in a different way, or say for you that that would kind of help push that forward? And I remember just going like, oh man, that's great. And you know, when somebody asks me something like that, my brain just goes wild with like all the thoughts and visions and ideas. And I have a billion ideas, right? Like, so I'm, I'm just thinking through it, thinking through it, thinking through it. And we actually had to talk to each other later that afternoon. And by the time we got back around, I, I just remember telling him, because he said, he said, so did you think about that? And I said, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say than share and serve. Because, I mean, there's some really cool things I'd love to do. There's some really awesome things we'd love to see happen as a church. I'd love to see more baptisms. I'd love to do this in the city. I'd love to get us more involved in community things. I'd love to serve more locally. Like There's tons of those things that are there. And I was like, but at the end of the day, it's the same as it was at the 20-year celebration. When I, had to, when I taught on it, I said, it's, it, it, I feel like it's going to be the same at the 30-year celebration. Like I don't see this, this changing. The goal, overarching goal, for as long as God is going to have me here at this church, is to stay so focused on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment that if I could see anything happen in the next five and ten years, it's that we are doing better at sharing and serving. That we are moving forward. Everybody's different place in your spiritual journey. I get that. But no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, the strategy for you is still to share your faith and to serve others. That's it. And it can get a little bit, and I want to speak to those in the room who've maybe been here, I don't know, maybe longer than 10 years. You've been around Journey for a while, people that have been in one church for a while, you tend to kind of get to know this, and, and you, t- you tend to sometimes get a little disheartened because you've seen so many people come and then go out the door, or people come and get there so excited about what Journey is and how we run, and then there's people who come and, well, they're not that excited, and they, they, you know, they don't stick around very long, and, and, and sometimes it gets a little easy to sit there and go, okay, Matt, this, the mission's the same, the strategy's the same, yes, it's not changing, um, Okay, well, you know, sometimes I get a little, I get a little put out with people, you know. I get a little disheartened sometimes that this is still the strategy that we're pushing this uphill. So here's a couple verses that I go back to pretty often. Anytime I feel that kind of creeping in on me, a couple passages that tend to lift my spirits. Paul, to the ending his letter to the first church in Corinth, he asked them to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? Like, like the work isn't in vain. You know, I went back to this a lot during COVID because during that year, I mean, I love y'all. I do really do. But during that year, I couldn't make a single decision that made anybody happy, like at all. 
Okay? So we're, we're doing our best to keep the church together, to keep pressing forward, to keep, again, equipping and providing resources and trying to meet needs and trying to gather when we could and, and those things. And, and I just continue to be like, everything feels like it's in vain. And I had to continue to constantly be reminded that, no, 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 like steadfast, always abounding in what God's called us to do. It's never in vain. Never. That work that's in the Lord. And then here, you've probably seen this one before. This is um, Galatians. It says, let's not get tired of doing what is good because at the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And so maybe this series is a way of saying, look, we're not giving up. This is <laughs> share and service. going to keep going going to keep being our strategy. It's, it's our hands to the wheel. It's our feet on the ground, what we plan to do with every single person that comes in and through this church for whatever season that God has them here. That's going to be the message that they're going to hear. You're ambassador for Christ. You're called to share your faith. You're called to share the hope that you have in Jesus. You're called to serve others. You're called to use your, your spiritual gifts with purpose, on purpose, and for the purpose that God gave them to you. And that is in alone, it's alone is going to help you continue to move forward in the path as God transforms the way you think and as you continue to partner with him in, in, in your lifelong journey of being a child of God. It's not going to change. We're not going to give up. But I do have to remember sometimes that our job is a lot of sowing. It's a lot of sowing into the harvest and I get discouraged sometimes when we sow and we sow and sow, and maybe I'm not seeing the reaping the, the harvest quite as, quite as quickly or quite the way I thought it was going to look like, and I have to remember that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest, that God is the Lord of the harvest and that he's going to honor what we do. He's going to honor the seeds that are sown in his name, and we just don't need to give up. Whatever the next season looks like, however dim maybe in your heart things seem to be, remember that you are the light because he is the light of the world in you and you as the church are now the light of the world because of him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for today. It's your Holy Spirit, God, that empowers us to be able to live out this life. I, I, don't, I don't say these words simply as something like, nah, just do it, bing, bang, boom. God, that we just share, we serve, and we do whatever. No, God, it's, it's by the Spirit's power in us that we do this, that we die to ourselves, that we fight to keep it simple in our hearts and minds. And we have to remember that there's only one Lord, only one baptism, only one way, only, only one salvation. And it's driven by the Lord who's in all and through all and sees all. And so, God, I pray today that as we as a church are moving forward, we as a church kind of work through how that looks for us to share our faith and serve others in love. And what does that look like as it brings community and growth and change in our life? I pray, God, that your spirit would be doing a work in us and through us, that it would be different this year for us, that maybe, maybe it's just thinking steps and not just gatherings or programs, but maybe it's thinking through us, our own personal lives. Are we really being the ambassadors you've called us to be? I pray your, work, your spirit is doing that work in our hearts and lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen.